You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. When you get to Proverbs chapter 30, put your finger there, and then turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus what? I don't know. Let's see. Exodus chapter 20. Well, let me... Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. And then Exodus chapter 20. I feel uh, pressed to give you guys a couple testimonies and then an update. Of course, I think most, if not all of you know that uh, Bethany wanted to labor... early Tuesday morning. And gave birth to my beautiful babies. Recently, the Lord has caused a particular phrase to stand out to me in the, uh, in the Psalms, and that is, God is my strength. Not that God supplies my strength or that God gives me strength. David over and over again says, God is my strength. And I discussed this very briefly as Bethany and I were fellowshipping the day before she went into labor on Monday. We don't get so much time to do that anymore, but um, we were able to do that on Monday afternoon. And we were discussing different things and we were discussing the things of the Lord. And I briefly mentioned that, but then while she was in labor, while she was on that table, I bent over and whispered to her, God is your strength. And I did that several times, and she told me after the fact how amazing that was to her, because that is something that the Lord had caused to stand out in her devotions. And she didn't remember the fact that I had mentioned that to her. The fact that God individually caused God is my strength to stand out to us is quite a testimony of of how personal of a God he is and how he organizes things and put things together that's beyond our comprehension. You know, I know that God is almighty, but I, just like you, sometimes I get into these situations and and I, I, I know that God is powerful enough, but I don't know if he will do it. Like, the, those who came to Jesus and said, heal me if you will. I know that you can, but I'm asking you if you will. And we prayed that Bethany would not have to have a C-section. Well, the general standard operating procedure is if either one of the twins is breached, then a C-section is given. Bethany, her water broke, and she gave birth to our first a little over an hour later, an hour and a half later, which is completely different than all of her other pregnancies. Um, by the time we got to the hospital, which was no, no more than 40 minutes, she was already dilated to seven. She was immediately taken into the uh, surgery room because that's what they do with twins. And in two contractions, she didn't push out Hudson. He just came out and the doctor was there just in time to catch him. Then there was about a half hour law when they put her to sleep and the doctor reached up there and she, he grabbed uh, Lorna who was 
um, butt down and then he grabbed one foot and grabbed another foot and then they woke her up and pulled him out. The outstanding thing about that is that doctor then went to Center for Family and testified to the nurse. He said, guess what I did today? She said, what? He said, I delivered a baby that was breached. And she said, really? You never do that. And he said, well, I don't know. I just looked at it and felt like everything was going to be okay. You see, that doctor looks at that situation and says, this is not what we do. This is not our standard operating procedure. We would normally just deliver at C-section. But we have a God that's greater than the doctor and his logic. We have a God that's more powerful, that can even supply peace to somebody. I don't even know if he's a believer. Can even supply peace and direction. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers turneth. He turneth it whithersoever he will. What a testimony to the power of our God. I have so much more that I would love to share with you. I am... I have a lot to get through in about 25 minutes. I'm serious, 30 minutes. I'm going to go to 10, so. Um, you're in Exodus chapter 20. Just let me give you a quick update. Um, ben, would you mind getting me some water? Um, I was talking to Bethany this morning on the way to church. Hudson is still in special care. He still has a tube down his nose to receive nourishment. These babies are born late premature, which means that they're not really premature. They're, they were born at 35 weeks, but they're acting like they're 34 weeks. They're big enough to be 35 or 36 weeks, even full term, but they don't have body fat, they don't have the sucking muscles, they don't have the, the digestive system to really process enough nourishment for them. Um, so Hudson is still in there. He's still struggling. He's making progress, but very little. Lorna had lost weight, possibly due to her getting cold in the night, um, the night before last. And she is now being taken over to special care. So we ask that you continue to pray for them. I know, I believe that everything will be okay and that they will they will get what they need. It's just going to take some time. It's going to be a long uphill climb for them. Just pray for mom. She has to go through the most. Um, she might be discharged today, which means that she has to travel back and forth to the hospital quite often. I know that many of you women have been through very similar circumstances, and so you can sympathize, you can empathize with that, and you can pray a little bit uh, better because you've been there. We're in Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. I'm just going to read verse 7, actually. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. It's been said, this is the third commandment, it's been said that this is possibly the most neglected commandment in the Bible. We we just kind of throw away the next commandment, which is to keep the Sabbath. We just kind of throw that away and disregard it, thinking that it doesn't apply to us anymore. But one that we know applies to us, yet we neglect it, is, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Growing up, I must have been taught that taking the Lord's name in vain must have gathered this from somewhere, and that this is... 
this is a common representation of the Lord taking the Lord's name in vain, is to use it as a curse word. And today we have all sorts of Christians slang for that same curse word, but it's to use God's name as a curse word, to use it in vanity. And no question about it, there is application to that. There, it's amazing that the, the world that shakes their fist at an almighty God that says that he doesn't exist, that your movies that are filled with all kinds of sin and immorality, they, they love to take the Lord's name in vain. The guy that they say doesn't exist, they love to use his name as a curse word. You don't ever hear them saying, oh my Buddha. You don't hear that. Because there's really no power in the name of Buddha, but there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And it's not some kind of mystical, magical power, like if I drop the name of Jesus, it's going to send some kind of woozy spirit over you. That is not at all the intention here. That is not at all what is meant by the power of the Lord's name. We see through the Bible that John's gospel says that Jesus came in the Father's name, that Jesus performs miracles in the Father's name, that we can ask anything in his name, that we are kept safe in his name. In Acts 4.12, we are reminded that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In Philippians 2.10, the apostle Paul reminds us that it is at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is significance in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. This is why we don't end our prayers as a casual phrase of vanity and say, in Jesus' name I pray. We actually are, should be praying in the name of Jesus. There is significance to your words. There is significance. We live in a generation where, where we like to take adages and sometimes make them more important than the Bible. Like your actions speak louder than your words, so your words must be insignificant. But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus over and over again said that the fruit of your heart are your words. He said to the, to the Pharisees, O generation of vipers, how can ye, speak, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. This is... Probably why most men will spend less time at the judgment seat than women, because women speak more than men. <laughs> For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Your words are important. What you say, what you utter, reveals a whole lot about where your heart is. However, when the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain, it's not just talking about using his name as a curse word. That's an offshoot. The root of thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain is something much more significant and much more deep-reaching, much more far-reaching. I've read commentators, and let me just go through this quickly. Listen quickly, listen intently, because I want to get to the application. You will read commentators who will say, well, it means don't commit perjury. 
So they're emphasizing that this is a civil kind of, um, civil law kind of application that when you swear to the Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth uh, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, that if you then lie after that, you're taking the Lord thy God's name in vain. Well, there's an application there, but that is not what this means. That is absolutely not what this passage is teaching. There's later commandments that tell us that. There's later commandments that you find in the Bible. That's an offshoot of the foundation of the Ten Commandments that you find in the Bible. But that is not at all. So you mean to tell me that God wrote nine commandments about your moral standing between your fellow man and your holy God, but he wrote then one commandment that applies to hardly anyone because hardly anyone ever stands and testifies in a court of law. And I don't want to take a little side, I don't want to spend too long on this rabbit trail, but this is where you end up many times whenever you look at a passage and say, I don't understand what that means, and then you go to a foreign language that you don't know and you don't understand to try and reinterpret the Bible. That's where these men have gotten this from, that's where they've gotten these ideas that it just means perjury. That is not at all what it means. The Bible has its own built-in dictionary. You want to know what the Bible means, you search the scriptures in the language that you understand. Your first response ought never to go to a language that you can't read and you can't comprehend. Your first response ought to just dig into the one that you can actually understand. There is great significance in the name of Jesus, God gives one of his commandments and says, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And certainly, I, I mentioned that this idea of perjury, there's later laws, like in Leviticus 19.12, it says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. He's talking about that civil kind of perjury. But another application of this that you will often read about is simply Blasphemy. It's later revealed in the law in Leviticus 24, 16. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him. As well the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. Man, we live in a day and age where it's fun and popular and funny to our world and sometimes, shamefully, even Christians to blaspheme the name of Christ, to make fun of His character, to make fun of His name, and to make fun of His attributes. Well, there was a woman in Leviticus 24, verses 11 through 16, that was stoned for just this. This woman, obviously something happened and she shook her fist at the Lord God Almighty. She spoke evil against Him and she was stoned. Webster's Dictionary, I think, gives us a wonderful definition of blasphemy. It says, blasphemy is an injury offered to God by denying that, listen carefully, by denying that which is due and belonging to Him or attributing to Him that which is not agreeable to His nature. It's saying that God is something that He's not. It's shaking your fist at an almighty God and saying that He isn't something that He is. 
What's amazing is the contradiction that's placed in all of this, that when, when you utter the name of the Lord, for example, Rabshakeh, how many of you remember Rabshakeh, the Assyrian spokesman who calls out Hezekiah and calls out Israel and speaks in the Jews' language and says, your God can't deliver you. Other nations trusted in their gods, and you think your God's going to deliver you? We are mightier than your God. Your God, you've already cast down his high places and his idols. And it's interesting to note that this Rabshakeh, he uses the name Jehovah. He uses the name Adonai. He uses the capital L-O-R-D, and he uses another name for the Lord. He uses the name of the Lord and then says that he's not what he is. He says by using the name of the Lord that he is almighty, that he is the self-sufficient one, because the names of God mean something. They're not just empty words, they mean something. And so Rabshakeh, shouting at Jerusalem, says that this man who is the all-sufficient one, this man who is the almighty one, this man who is the one that every knee should bow, he can't deliver you. Oh, what a contradiction of terms. What a way in which he used the name of the Lord in vain. He took the Lord's name in vain. And the response of Israel, we can read in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 3, And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. In Job 21, verse 14, it said, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? In Isaiah 37, verse 23, Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Let me quickly, as I skip this, let me quickly define what this means for you. I, I've made the mistake in preaching to you in the past of waiting to the end to define something that I pr probably should define it in the beginning so that you're not sitting on the edge of your seats wondering, well, what is he going to mean here? So let me just quickly define it for you. God's name has meaning. My name, my parents name me Aaron because they like the name Aaron. Okay? Most of you, you name your kids names because you like the names. Sometimes you name them after people. Emma was named after her grandmas. Hudson was named after Hudson Taylor. All right? Lorna, we just like the name. But back in these days, in the Jews' days, their names meant something. They didn't just pick a name that they liked. They picked a name that meant something and that was attributed to that person and was, was, was speak, spoke volumes of who that person was. Jacob the deceiver. His name means the deceiver. And he was characterized in his early life, at least, as one who was a deceiver. And they got this model from the Lord who, when he spoke his name, he always attached a meaning to it. When you read your Bible and you read the different names of God, 
like capital L-O-R-D, they have meanings attached to them. It's not just something that we call him so that we can distinguish him from the other gods. It's something that we call him so that we can attribute it to him who he is. L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D. The, the self-sufficient one, the self-existent God. L-O-R-D, O-R-D, lowercase, is usually the one that we should bow our knee to. G-O-D is usually the one that talks about his power and his crea creation. Almighty talks about his omnipotence. All the names of God have meaning to them. And when you and I use those names in a way, and whatever offshoot you want to give, whether it's perjury or whether it's blasphemy, when we knew, use his names either as an empty meaning or as an opposite meaning of who he is, it is a breaking of the third commandment. This is the root of what the third commandment means. It means emptying the names of God for what they actually mean. It's not just talking, many of you sitting here today, you're seasoned Christians. You don't go around taking the Lord's name in vain. But I dare say that many of you same who don't take the Lord's name in vain by, by using it as a curse word, take the Lord's name in other ways. You don't shake your fist at God in blasphemy. But often, you and I, we empty the meaning of who God is. In so many different ways. Let me not get ahead of myself. We will get to those applications in a few moments. Let me continue with his teaching. It's also said that taking the Lord's name in vain is living a bad testimony. You are called by a certain name. You are called Christian. When you're out in your workplace, people identify you as a Christian. When you do things that are in contradiction of what the character of a Christian ought to be, then what you do is you take that name, Christ, Christian, and you say, Christ doesn't mean much to me. You empty him of his significance and what he's done in your life and what he is doing in your life, and you take his name then in vain. After David's adultery and murder, the prophet went to him and said, How be it, because by this deed that thou hast given great occasions to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. David took the Lord's name in vain. He took who he was and he emptied it so that the enemies can look at God and say, This is the God that he serves? This is the Lord, his righteousness? Where is his righteousness? How is this the Lord, his righteousness? What kind of powerful God is this? Where the king of Israel, the one who offered so many psalms, is committing the, 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 the worst sins that a man can commit, or adultery and murder, some of the worst sins that a man can commit. How are these things, living a bad testimony, blasphemy, using the name of God as a curse word, and perjury, these things are only offshoots of the foundation of what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. I had you turn to also Proverbs chapter 30. You just read Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord 
capital L-O-R-D, thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Then in Proverbs chapter 30, and reading in verse 8, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. It wasn't until a couple months ago, several months back, where I read that and I said, okay, so he's saying that he wants the Lord to give him enough so that he doesn't have to steal. And then if he steals, he's more likely to use God's name as a curse word. And that never sat right with me. That never seemed to really make sense. It seemed to me to be just kind of shallow. And I was reading this several months ago, and the Lord revealed to me what I've revealed to you. And I've been meditating on it ever since. And the only person that I've heard that I've at least that I've at least recognized what they were saying. Sometimes people say things and you don't really catch what they're saying. The only person I've ever heard, ironically, make this attribution, make this application, make this interpretation of taking the Lord's name in vain was Pastor White several weeks ago. He just dropped it very quickly, but he talked about taking the Lord's name in vain. To empty it of meaning. But that is not at all what it's talking about. He's not saying, remember, we use the Bible to define itself. There are only four times in the scriptures where it says, take the Lord's name in vain. There are only four times. One is two times given in the law, and another time is in Psalms, where David is saying, um, these people, they shake their fists at you. He didn't say that. That's my, that's my. And then he says, and they take your name in vain. And then here in Proverbs. I think here in Proverbs, it gives us quite an expounding of the definition of what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Remember, something that is vain is empty. Something that is vain has no significance. Something that is vain, uh, when you take the Lord's name in vain, you empty his names. Names. He has many names. And they're not just fancy words that, they, that we call him. They have meaning to them. To empty those names of the meaning. This is the very root and the meaning of taking his name in vain. Certainly there are offshoots. We've already talked about these, but these are merely offshoots. In Proverbs 30 and verse 8, he asks the Lord to give him enough, but not too much. What is enough for you might not be the same as what is enough for me. What is too much for you might not be the same of what is too much for me. I have a feeling that if God gave me lots of riches, then I would say I don't need him. 
But he's saying here in his application of taking the Lord's name in vain, he says, don't give me so much poverty to where I can't feed my children and I have to then go out and commit a sin of stealing. Well, how is that taking his name in vain? Well, one of his names is the Lord provides. And if you get to a point in your life where you think that God has abandoned you, Thou God seest me? The God that is ever present, the God that is always near you, that if you ever get to a point in your life where you're so impoverished that you think that God has left you, and that you think that God is so unloving and not very good that he has lost care for your estate, and that you think then that God is not omnipotent, that he doesn't own the cattle on a thousand hills, and so you have to take it in your hands, and you have to then commit the sin of stealing in order to provide your, for your family, you're saying that God is not omnipotent. He's not almighty. He's not a good God. He's not near to me. And he's not a faithful God. And he's not a God that provides. You took all of those names that God is good, that God is a faithful God. All of those names and all of those attributes that are attributed to his names, that God is self-sufficient and that he has everything and has the power to give it to you. What you're saying is that those names mean nothing. The writer of Proverbs is saying, Lord, I don't want to ever get in a position where I'm tempted to take your name in vain and to say, you're not a God that provides. You're not a God that's good. You're not a God that's faithful. And then take your name in vain and commit also a sin in the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. When we think of the names of God, we think of Jehovah. Moses was introduced to the great I Am. And this is God revealing to Moses that He has always been, is, and always will be what He is. That He needs nothing. That He is self-sufficient and independent. That he doesn't need you to worship him, that you get to worship him. That he doesn't need you to work for him, that you get to work for him. And you and I take this name in vain whenever we look at ourselves and we go through our daily lives and then we call ourselves the I am. Oh, we might not ever utter those words, but we do often in our actions, in our daily lives, whenever we live a life that's independent of God. Whenever there are certain crevices in our lives, certain areas in our lives where we say, I got this handled. I can do this. I've done this so many times before. I can do this. And one day you have that attitude, God's going to take that ability away from you. He's going to bring you to the brink and realization that you can't do it. All that time that you thought you were doing it on your own, you weren't doing it on your own. God was being merciful and giving you strength. God is my strength. Amen. The strong one, the one to be feared, Elohim. Do you have the fear of the Lord? Do you believe that the same God that caused 
people to die in the early church simply because they told a lie is the same God today? Do you fear the Lord? Do you know that He's a God of judgment and a God of holiness? And that He doesn't tolerate, though He might be merciful, that He doesn't tolerate your sin. You see, you and I, we, we blaspheme, we, we take God's name, I should say, in vain whenever we say, I can commit this sin and then I'll ask for forgiveness and I'll get away with it. Or when we call Him our Lord, the one that we should bow the knee to, we call Him our Lord, but we have oh so many other things that we bow the knee to first in our lives. Our job, our boss, our family, our money, our entertainment, and the list can go on and on and you can make your own list in your own mind The Almighty God. Many of you maybe remember the, the message that I preached a while back on the Almighty God. In every circumstance in the Bible where the name Almighty is given, which just so happens to be mentioned more in the book of Job and in the book of Revelation than in any other book. But in every place that the word Almighty, talking about the omnipotent God, is named, it's named for a person who's going through a trial that may be doubting the promises of God. You're going through a trial, a tough situation, whether that be problems in your family, whether that be health issues, whether that be financial issues. Is He really the Almighty God? Then Christian, you have no need for worry. When we have the God of peace and we call Him the God of peace, when we have Him on, my, on our sides, we have no cause or reason to ever worry. And when we do, we take the God who says He is the God of peace, we take that name in vain. The Lord our righteousness, not you are your own righteousness, but He is your righteousness. And oh, there's so much that I could say about that, but there's simply not time. But let me sum it up to this. You can't be good enough to live a Christian life that pleases the Lord. You can't do enough good works. You can't avoid enough evil. You will always fall flat on your face. Just as you entered into the covenant of salvation, just as you entered into the promise of salvation by faith, we still walk in our Christian life by faith. That is accepting that God is our righteousness and will deliver us from evil if we accept the wooings of the Holy Spirit inside of us. If we obey Him as He speaks to us. The Lord is there. Thou God seest me. The holy God. The faithful God. The God who personifies wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Oh, we take this in vain whenever we're looking for wisdom and we look everywhere but the Bible. We search the internet, we search our friends, we look everywhere but the Bible. You have an answer book for life right here. Don't take the name of the God of wisdom in vain. The Lord, my rock. The Lord is my strength. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord 
thy God in vain. He's not offering up a curse word and making it the Lord's name, a curse word. That's an offshoot of it. It is you taking a name that has significance and meaning something and you saying in your heart and in your conduct in your life that it doesn't really mean that. And you don't say that. You don't utter those words in your mind because you know the issue there. But all we do so many times whenever we question whether or not God is who He is, when we question whether or not He is all-powerful, when we question whether or not He is the God that healeth, when we question whether or not He is the God that seeth, the God that is near me, whenever we question whether or not He is the God, the Lord, our righteousness, to deliver us from the cords of sin. Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.